Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. God is good and all the time. We start a new series today, Being the Church, uh, Revealing the Real and Renewing the Roots. I was reading somewhere that the number one reason why people don't become followers of Jesus is because of the church. There's some gory things that happen, and we don't have to hide those. We can reveal the real about what the church has failed in. Story after story, week after week, we see things like corruption and scandals and things like that happening in churches around the world. We don't have to hide that. We don't have to be afraid of that. We can reveal the real as we talk about being the church. But the number one reason why people do decide to follow Jesus is also the church. Uh, There is glory in the church as there is gore. And as we look at what is broken at the church, we can also look at what God's intention and commitment to the church is. We can reveal the real and also dig to the roots of what the church is supposed to be. Uh, one thing we see right now is people are talking a lot about a, a lot of, about a lot of bad fruits coming from the church, but we also want to look at the roots. What did Jesus intend for the church to be? What are we supposed to be as the people of God? And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next couple months. We're going to be digging into what the church is, both the gore and the glory of it. And we're going to start today with First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. We're looking at Peter, the apostle, Jesus is one of Jesus' core disciples who is writing to believers who are being persecuted, to a church who is facing not physical persecution, more like a persecution of reputation. People are being publicly shamed because they're following Jesus, and it seems like the persecution is going to get worse. And it's into that situation, into that church reality, that Peter writes these verses in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. Let me pray quickly and we'll read God's word. Father God, we just pray that you would help us be real about what's real, and that you would help us be, uh, be renewed as we see the roots of what your church is meant to be. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be present, and he would change us and encourage us and convict us as he wills. And all God's people said, amen. Let's read 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. I'll read it for you. It says, as you come to him, that him is Jesus, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone. And the one who believes in him in Jesus will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one, has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word and they were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession 
so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of God. I think we get tired of reading the fine print. I don't know if you've got one of those updates on your phone or on your computer, and it says, do you want to read the terms and conditions? And maybe you did one time, but you assume that you know what it's all about, and you don't really have a choice, so you have to click, I accept these terms and conditions. You don't bother to read the fine print, and you just let your phone update, right? But reading the fine print is important. Reading the fine print is important. We can't assume that we know what something is about. We have to look at the details because if we don't read the fine print, we might really miss something crucial. Recently, a company named Squaremouth did a contest. Squaremouth is a travel insurance company. And when people purchased the travel insurance, they sent the terms of the travel insurance to each customer. But in that travel insurance document, that 4,000 word document that none of us would really bother to read was a hidden secret. And it was a contest. And it simply said in that document, whoever reads this and writes into Square Mouth, the first one who does that will win $10,000. All you had to do was read the terms and write in. And if you were the first one to do that, you'd win $10,000. Well, no one did it, except one woman who described herself as sort of a terms and conditions nerd, a woman named Donalyn Andrews. She read it and read it again. Is this say what I think it says? As she read the fine print, she decided, well, I'm going to contact Squaremouth and see what happens. And the next day, the day after she contacted Squaremouth, she received a call from them saying, guess what? You've won $10,000 because you bothered to read the fine print. You know, as we think about being the church, we kind of look at what the church is and we go, I don't need the details. I know what it's about. Many of us think of church as a location. It's somewhere I just go to on Sundays and I sort of check off my spiritual Uh, to-do list, and then I go on with my week. Don't bother me with the details. Don't give me the fine print. I know what church is about. Church is a location. Other people would say, I know what church is about. It's an irrelevant institution. I mean, it's not really something that's organic. It's all about rules and ceremony and power and hierarchy. And not only that, the, the, the hierarchy is pretty corrupt from all the stories we see of corruption in the church. So don't give me the details. I don't need the fine print. The church, I know, is an irrelevant institution. Still others of us in our consumer culture see the church as merely a choice. We, we talk about church shopping. Uh, because we get to pick everything from the apps on our phone to the 30 toothbrushes that we can choose from in Target, we look at church and we go, it's an option if I should even participate. But not only that, I want to find a church that meets all my preferences. It has the kind of people I like and uh, the, the pastor that I like. 
And then church becomes something that is a choice or a preference. And if we think of church that way, we have missed the fine print. Church isn't primarily a location. It's not first and foremost an institution, nor is it something that's like a choice or preference. It's not a consumer product. Church is first and foremost a people, an organic group of people, a group of needy, broken, sinful, imperfect people. Look what Peter starts out by saying as he describes the church. He says, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, this people called the church isn't first and foremost about showing up at a building. It's not about first and foremost coming to church. It's first and primarily about coming to Christ together. Because you and I wake up out of bed every morning and we are incredibly spiritually needy. We have failed before we have even got out of bed. We have we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. Not only that, but our faith is imperfect. We are spiritually weak, but Christ is perfect and he is strong. Church is first and foremost about a people who are coming to Christ together in the midst of their need. The Valley of Vision prayer book, which is a prayer book that I love, it has a prayer that says, out of our sense of emptiness, go to Christ. Not because we have it together, but because we don't have it together. Out of our sense of emptiness, go to Christ and possess, enjoy his fullness as mine, as if I had it in myself, because it is for me in him. In other words, the church is a group of needy people who by faith takes hold of all the joy and forgiveness and love and righteousness and justice that is in Jesus Christ as if it's ours because it is ours in him. The church is not first and foremost a location, but a people who come to Christ, and as they come to Christ, they are made into living stones. Now, Peter uses the word living stones in verse five because Jesus is not dead, but what? Alive. Alive. We just looked at that last week, the resurrection. And therefore, you and I, as people who are now spiritually alive in Jesus Christ, we are experiencing a spiritual resurrection as well. We are learning to follow him. We are learning to turn away from our sins and turn to him. We are receiving his grace. The Holy Spirit is alive in us. And we are not just individuals doing the spiritual journey. We are being built together as living stones into a spiritual house. Now, this, you could say, is a spiritual house, this white room we're in. I mean, if you go and look online and you looked up houses of worship in Hollywood, you would probably find this place that popped up. And it is a house of worship. It's a spiritual house. But the Bible, when you read the fine print, it's not about the building. It's about the people. Together, we are being built together as a spiritual house where the Holy Spirit lives. The Holy Spirit lives in you individually if you know Jesus Christ, but 
He does that together. We together are a house, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, which means you and I are connected whether we want to be or not. The, the church, as Edward Clink says, the church is not just a social organization or even a human institution. It is quite literally the location in which God dwells, having replaced the function of the temple. This explains the importance of the physical gathering of God's people. It is the place where God in Christ and through the Spirit is most clearly present with his people and the world. In other words, where is God most focused in his work? In us, the people, who are coming to Christ together, who are being built into a spiritual house. And therefore, look, the local church is at the very center of what God is doing in the world. You're part of this. Cody and I were talking, uh, and Cody said something really interesting. He said, it's more than you gather here in this building with us. It's more than you gather here with us. You are us. We're together in this. We're being built up in Christ as we come to him as spiritually needy people. And, and we are people together that have a received identity. That means we have a God-given identity. Everything else in the world works by either choosing your identity or earning your identity. If you're good enough, if you're smart enough, if you have it together enough, then you can say, hey, I'm a good person. Hey, I'm powerful. Uh, it's all about an earned identity. But God is so committed to his people in the church that he gives them identity, the identity of Jesus Christ. That is, we are in Christ together and we get to live that out. We get to act as if we are in Christ because we are. When I was in high school, one of my best friends was an incredible athlete. He was like all district in both basketball and both baseball. And about five years ago, he got elected into our high school's sports hall of fame. And so I was gonna go to celebrate him. It was like a, it was a football game and you know we'd been out of high school years and years and years. And so we were gonna show back up and he was gonna to get to go in front of people and receive this award and we were all gonna clap for him. Well, he called me that afternoon and he said, listen, man, um, I can't make it tonight. I got food poisoning. Would you go and receive that award for me? And I was like, okay, sure. So I go and before the game starts, everyone's gathered around and they start giving a resume of my friend's sport accolades all district this year, all county this year, this many points per game, this many home runs. And he is being elected into the school's hall of fame for sports. And here to receive the award for him, John Homus. <laughs> and so I walk on stage and everyone starts applauding. I receive the plaque and I'm like, I'm getting out of here, right? <laughs> And they go, no, 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 stand up there, please. Hold the plaque up and let's get some pictures. So here I'm holding this plaque that doesn't have my name on it, <laughs> smiling, looking at people. And as I'm walking down, they're like, wait, let's get some more pictures. I'm like, wait a minute, this, this, is, not, this is not who I am, right? I, I didn't do any of this, but it was like beneficial for me to actually be in that position. It was like I had received his identity. And even as I walked down off the stage, people were like, congratulations. 
I was like, you know that I'm not him, right? <laughs> the, the, church, the church is similar in that we have received the identity of Jesus on, it, on us. Everything that Jesus has earned, his perfection, his sinlessness, the forgiveness, all of that, we get to act as if it is ours because in him it is. It's not something that we have earned from God. It is something that Jesus has earned for us from God. And then therefore, we get to stand and own it in front of everybody. It is a received identity from God. Part of that identity is he says that we are a chosen race. In verse 9a, we are a chosen race. That means that we are people from all different races, and yet there is something unique about us. There is something about a person who knows Jesus Christ that you have more in common with than even members of your own family who don't know Jesus. That is strange to think about, but it is true. We are connected as a new type of human, a new type of man or woman in Jesus Christ that God is utterly committed to. And as this chosen race, as the church, as the people, we are God's plan A for the world. There is no plan B. There is no plan B. When God sees the brokenness and the, the lack of mercy and the injustice and the people who are hopeless, the answer is God's people with Jesus in them reaching out in the community. That is God's plan A. There is no plan B. And therefore, our identity is something that we receive from God because he's so committed to us. And as we step out into the community, we have a purpose to represent God. That's what Peter means when he says that we're a royal priesthood. The priests were those who functioned at the temple in the Old Testament in Israel. And their job was to represent God to the Israelites and to represent the Israelites to God. They were in what's called a mediatory role, an in-between, a go-between. But the priests were a special class. Not just anybody could be a priest. You had to come from a certain lineage. You had to have certain qualifications to, in order to be a priest. But here what Peter is saying is that anyone who is in Jesus is part of the people of God. And anyone who is part of the people of God is a priest. That is, we are a representative of God in our homes, in our workplaces, on our streets, wherever we may go, we have this identity that God is representing himself to the world through us together. Has that seeped into your heart? Has that seeped into your heart? Do, do, you, do you know that that's the primary purpose God has for you is to represent him? You know, right now in our culture, we are so divided uh, I think that we get wrapped up in representing something else. We get wrapped up in representing our politics. We get wrapped up in representing something about our group of people that we identify with. And we lose sight that our primary purpose is to represent God together. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. I was just in England, and one of their customs is that they drive on, we'll say, the wrong side of the road. They'd say the right side of the road. Uh, and they have a certain way that they talk. And there's things that are unique about their culture. 
But we as the people of God are a nation in and of ourselves, and we have things that are distinct about us. The Bible calls them holy things. We would just say they're customs that God has given us to live out, like the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. When you pray, don't be self-righteous about it. When your enemy wrongs, you forgive them. That's what, it, that's what it's meant by we, have, we are a holy nation. We have customs that we're meant to live out, but so often I think we get caught up in other things. We forget our purpose is to be this holy nation that God has sent out into the world. We get caught up in other purposes and we forget that God, Jesus is calling us to look like him as we live. Broken sinners who need help, Jesus is empowering us to forgive our enemies and to pray humbly and to be peacemakers and to love righteousness. I mean, when was the last time you thought about your life and you're like, I need to get more of the Sermon on the Mount in my life? But that's our calling as a holy nation to offer spiritual sacrifices. That, that simply means that we're to serve God and serve one another. That, that's our purpose because we're not just a people. We're not just a group. We're God's people. We're God's people. In verse 10, it says that we are, or sorry, verse 9, it says that we are a people for God's possession. Now, that's language from the Old Testament when God redeemed Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And that means that God has set his special affection on people that don't deserve it. He has chosen to love his people, not because of something in them, but because of something in him. God's people for God's possession. We belong to him together. And one of the problems is in American Christianity or Western Christianity, we're so individualistic when we think about being God's. We tend to think about it personally rather than corporately. We think about it individually rather than together. We focus so much on me moments that we forget about the we moments. Now I'm a father, I'm a father of three children, and I try and give each of my kids a me moment every day. And a me moment is a hug, a how you're doing, Tell me what was hard. Tell me what was a highlight. I love you. Your daddy loves you. He loves being your daddy. Those are me moments. But there are also we moments. We are getting in the car now, and we are leaving. We are going somewhere. We got stuff to do. Okay, I understand you can't find your shoes. Throw on something else because we are going places. We have a purpose. And the same is true as the people of God. We have an individual relationship with our Father, but we have been so focused on that that we forget that he is calling us together to be his people in the world. We have been so focused on me moments with the Father that we have forgot about we moments with God. There was a time when we were not God's people. There was a time when we did not have any hope in the world because we didn't know God. But notice how being God's is connected to being part of God's people. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. In other words, if you are God's, you are also part of God's people. You have an individual identity as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, but you are God's, 
You are part of a body. You are part of an organism. You are part of the people of God. And what's amazing is even as we see so many stories of corruption and just sin in the church and things that are grotesque, God isn't afraid to stay close to the church. I mean, God hasn't distanced himself. In other words, God is still committed. One of the worst churches in the New Testament was the church at Corinth. And some people say, you know, we want to be like the early church. And I say, well, be careful which church, because the church in Corinth was awful. There was like all sorts of scandals, like weird stuff going on that was being celebrated in the church. And there was divisiveness, and it was like a popularity contest, and the rich were uh, separating themselves from the poor. It was just a mess. And yet, God stayed committed to his ugly, awful, sinful people. In fact, when Paul writes to Corinth, the first thing he says is to the church of God at Corinth. You're still God's church. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, even though they weren't acting very saintly. With all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. And then he says this to this awful church. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That church did not deserve any grace. They did not deserve any peace. And yet Paul says, here it is from God. Now Paul stepped in and as part of God's purifying of that church, Paul called them out. But he didn't call them out in order that they might earn something from God. He called them out because they were God's people. And if you read 2 Corinthians, you'll see that what happens is that church completely changes. Once they get a grasp of who they are as God's people, they change and they repent. They step into God's mercy. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you know that that is your standing in Christ? That you have received mercy. God is not ashamed of you. When you were baptized, you were baptized in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And that's not just some religious ceremony. That is God saying, you are now part of my people. I put my name on you. When you think that you have fallen so short that you have fallen out of God's hand, remember your baptism because it is a sign of God's mercy and that you are part of his people. If you have been baptized, so have other people been baptized. And now together we have been marked by God that we are his. And so the church, as we think about the church, we read the fine print. It's not really fine print at all. It's God declaring who we are. We're the ones that just get sidetracked. That we are a people. We are God's people. But here's the question for us today. Is the church your people? Is the church your people? Church isn't just a place you go. Church is a people that you're part of. Church is not primarily an irrelevant institution. It is a living organism being built together on Christ. Church isn't an optional activity. It's the center of God's commitment in the world. Church isn't just another preference for us to choose from. Rather, church is God's chosen ones. I want to challenge you, in all seriousness, 
if you feel like you have found a healthy church at New City Fellowship, stick. Show up. Commit. But in all honesty, if you feel like this is not a healthy church, come talk to me first. But, but maybe there's another church that you could plug in and root into. I care more about you finding a church that you could say, I am part of this. I am here. I am part of the people of God with these people. I care more about that for you than I do that happening at this church. I want you at this church, but what's more important is that you root in and you live out being this living organism called the church. If you have found a healthy church here, show up at the membership class. Commit to serve once a month. Not every Sunday, just once a month. We're trying to to submit to what God is doing here and building us together. And I know the first thing that you think, you go, well, wait a minute, Pastor John, what about my freedom? I mean, commitment is a bad word in this culture, right? Uh, I want to challenge you that actually what's more important of you keeping all your options is you having a foundation within God's people. In 2001, I had just graduated college And I had gone through two years that produced church hurt in me. I had been around someone who was really manipulative in the church and also someone who was really domineering. And I didn't quite have the maturity to see what was happening. I just know I didn't really want to be part of the church anymore after that experience. Well, I graduated uh, college and I decided that I was going to enjoy my freedom. I got a new job and somehow I talked my boss into giving me a month off right after I started. I don't know how I did that, but it happened. And I booked for $750, I booked a month long train pass on Amtrak so that I could go anywhere in the United States for a whole month. And I did. I I went from Nashville to Memphis, from Memphis to Chicago, from Chicago to Madison, from Madison, Wisconsin, to Montana, to Seattle, to these islands off of Seattle, then down to San Francisco and Denver and Colorado Springs, and then Chicago, and then Memphis and New Orleans, and then Alabama, and then back to Nashville. And it was awesome. I loved it. I mean, I just had a backpack on and just money in my pocket, and just wherever I ended up, I ended up. It was unbelievable, and probably the height of that experience for me was getting to go to Glacier National Park in Montana. Um, My favorite book is A River Runs Through It, and so that's a story that takes place among a family in Montana, and for me, like, going to Montana was kind of this, like, spiritual experience, and so I went from Wisconsin to Montana, and when I got to Montana, I was like, I just want to go hike in Glacier National Park. And I met this guy, I met this guy, I think in a cafe, and we just struck up a conversation, and he said, I'm about to go hike in Glacier for five days, and I was like, me too, let's just do it together. And so we did, we went like 50-something miles in five days, and we saw bears, and we saw moose, and elk, and it was just, you can see from the picture, it was just beautiful. There was nothing, nothing, no other moment in my life had I felt so free. Uh, and then we came to Stony Indian Pass. Uh, Stony Indian Pass was going to be the height, the highest point in my hike. And as we climbed up this pass, this ridge, the, the level of oxygen dropped. And 
I started to get sick with altitude sickness where your body gets tired and you're not thinking clearly. And I just, I, I got to the top of Stony Indian Pass and I thought, I, I can't keep going. Here I am in this moment of freedom and I am in incredible need. Well, I, all I had were these meals that you had to heat up to eat. And you can't do that on a mountain pass. You can't start a fire on a mountain pass. It'll just be put out. So I was really like out of food until some people passed by and they saw that Keith was like struggling with what to do with me because I wasn't making good decisions. I was so, uh, the oxygen was so thin. And, And then they gave me some food. And at that moment, it was just such a strange moment because it's like, here I am, I'm free and I'm in incredible need. And if those people had not passed by, I would have been in trouble. And we sat there and I ate some food. I felt a little bit better. And then we got, we went down as fast as we could that ridge just so I could get some oxygen in my brain. And it's interesting to think back on that. I mean, if you asked me, John, let's go travel. I'd be like, done. Let me clear it with my wife first. Uh, But anywhere you want to go, I'll go. I love to travel. I love that sense of freedom. And yet at the same time, one of the things I experienced was that in my moment of greatest freedom, I was at most, I was in the most need. I love that trip. But when I got back, when I got back from that month-long 7,000-mile trip around the United States, I decided to plug into a church. I plugged into a local church as a 22-year-old kid. And I was put in a small group with Uh, people who were like 10 years older than me, and they had their own kids. I think we have a picture here. It was younger and thinner. Um, But so I plugged in with these people, and they just loved me. They loved me. They had me come over before small groups, and they poured into me. They let me say stupid stuff and forgive me. Eventually, they let me lead their small group as like a 23-year-old kid, and like they kind of had to steer me as I did it, but they poured into me. If I had to choose between those two experiences, the freedom of that train trip or the foundational uh, season of my life of being in that church, I would choose the church a thousand times. Friends, being free and meeting people was fun. But being the church with God's people was foundational for me. And it is for you too. You're not simply an individual who's walking with Jesus. You're part of a family. That's why we say God's blended family here. We are the church together. Not people that have it all together, but people who do it together. People in need who come to Christ and try and live as the people of God. You are God's people, but are these your people? That's one of the questions we'll continue to look at as we explore through this series. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we get the honor of being your people. We pray that you would help us uh, to see the blessing that it is to be called children of God together. We thank you, Father, for your love. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence with us. We pray that you would help us to learn and grow together. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship. As you're here this morning, I wanna invite you into further dialogue. 
Um, some of you have felt a challenge this morning. Don't feel that a challenge is a shutdown of dialogue. If you have questions, uh, we would love to receive those questions, whether it be over coffee or at the membership class. We welcome dialogue. Uh, we love you. We realize people are wrestling. But we have always tried to say things honestly and directly. We don't try and hide what the Word of God says. We try and say it, and then we give room for dialogue. So if you have been challenged this morning, you have been challenged this morning, but don't take that challenge as a shutdown to an invitation. It is an invitation to dialogue. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? How are you responding? I'll stick around. I'd love to talk with you if you have questions. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.